Turn your Bibles this morning, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 6.33 is where we'll start. Been doing a series for the last several weeks, probably doing another week or two, called Blessed or the Blessed Life. And it's simply been an intentional series to look in the Bible and show you how to experience the favor of God in your life. I want to be very clear, the favor of God is God's blessing, it's His kindness, it's His goodness. We're particularly talking about our material world, about our possessions, our finances, our resources. It's that practical every day that we deal with things. And how many know it's just not a nine-to-five thing about work? How many know, listen, in today's world, you're thinking about it all the time. You know, you're looking, you're, you're, you're buying, you're shopping, you're spending, you're, you're praying, you're concerned about what's going on with unions in Washington, you're concerned about oil prices. Anybody notice? I, I filled up yesterday. It was 10%, 30% jump in just since the last time I got it. Well, we're not doing extra drilling in America. That seems to not be a great idea in our modern America. I don't know where they got that, but we're about to be in heat big trouble. How many know we need God's favor on our life? See, the favor of God can transcend the problems, the limitations, the circumstances. The grace of God can help us be content no matter what's going on in our world, whether we live in a great big house, a small house, a new car, an old car. How many know there's a wonderful gift of contentment? Where all this is a part of the blessed life, and uh, we're just looking in the Bible together. Again, it's not about gimmicks, it's not about schemes, but it's about you living in tandem with Christ. It's like a railroad track. There's two tracks, they're always in parallel, and as Christ goes, so we go in our material world. There's three words we've looked at. It's the word faith, obedience, and generosity. You may kind of look at your fingers like that, and one's faith and obedience and generosity. And we've, that's been a theme for us as we've looked at the fact that God is our provider, the source of everything. Even if I'm working, even if I'm selling, I'm investing in inheritance, a gift, God is the one that's behind it all. When I go to work in the morning, I don't just go to work to get stuff. I say, Lord Jesus, would you give me this day my daily bread? Would you give me blessing at my work? Would you give me favor with those that work for me, favor with clients, favor with employees, favor with customers? And I see the hand of God that's behind my provision. Well, that's what we're looking at. Jesus made an incredible promise. Last week's message was called, Who's First? And he made an incredible promise to meet our needs. But the condition, verse 33, he said, seek first. Can you say, seek first? First, the priority of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and what God wants. And then... All your other needs we met as well. It was a passage about worry, about clothing, about, you know, place to stay, food, all the necessities of life. And Jesus said, don't just go after the things. You remember? He said that the Lord knows you need them in advance. But you seek first the kingdom of God. You put God first. And then you, you get the God factor involved in your life. And I'm not talking about Ed McMahon and mailboxes and lotteries and all that. I'm simply talking about God's hand of kindness that's rest on your life and God cares for you. A great promise from Proverbs 3 we last read last week to the tither. It said, honor God with everything you own. Give Him, what's it say, the... Give Him the first and best. In other words, it's an honor to God. It's an expression of your faith, of your obedience. It belongs to God. You put Him first. You recognize Him. It's a way of saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you more with whatever I've got left than I would if I had it all on my own. And God's promise is that He would literally cause blessings to come. Barns would burst. Wine vats would brim over. Simply a way of saying, God, is it will care for you. Now, here's the question. We're going to begin in Matthew 6, 24, kind of a springboard where we were last week. And the question was this, who is controlling your life, God or the word in the old King James, the new King James, is mammon. We'll talk about what that word mammon means because it's got a great history. Who is controlling my life, God or, or money? 
Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. So what Jesus is doing is he is, he is picturing uh, money. He is picturing uh, my billfold, my debit card, my whatever, my things. Uh, he's picturing this as a potential master that can control my life. And what Jesus is saying, either I'm going to control you or these, this will control you. You're going to hate one, love the other, be loyal to one, despise the other. And Jesus makes an emphatic statement. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. You just can't do it. Now, your older translations, your King James, New King James, translate this Aramaic word, mammon. Uh, a transliteration is actually the term, which simply means when they translated that word into English, there was no uh, perfect equivalent, so they kind of made up a word, like the word baptism. Baptism, it comes from the Greek word baptizo, and they kind of made up an English word, and there wasn't one in our vernacular. Well, this word mammon is an, is an interesting word. If you had an amplified study Bible, you'd see that it says money, riches, possessions, but things that we trust in. And this word mammon is the word I'm going to look at today because it has a potential to control your life. It, it, it is, there's a potential to trust in this more than God. It's a potential to trust in my job, to trust in my bank account, to trust in fidelity investments, to trust in the vanguard, to trust in American funds, to trust in my stash of gold and silver. And it's almost unconscious sometimes, but a believer can depend more on tomorrow's provision of what I have than God taking care of me. Now, this word mammon, again, it's an interesting word. It is personified. It's pictured as a rival to God for our heart. And how many know money in and of itself is neither good nor bad? It is not moral, immoral. It is amoral, which simply means it's not the money, but it's what you're able to do with it that determines whether it controls you or you control it. As we speak today, my wife is in Haiti, uh, the mission there with the Threadgills. Uh, she's getting to preach today. She'll probably preach to six, seven, 8,000 people today. But she's going to come back and she's going to say, oh, their, their generator broke. And those people in Haiti, uh, the trash is still on the ground. The broken down buildings, they've only hauled away 3%. Think about that, in a year. I mean, the people are impoverished. How can we help? How can the Miller family help? How can Church of the Rock continue to help? Well, listen, if you've got a ton of money, how many know you can do a ton of good with it? And money in and of itself is not bad. Or you can take all that money and just spend it on yourself. You can waste it. You know, you can invest it or put it in things. It's all about us. And before you know it, we've lost any eternal value. Well, this master, this money god, the Chaldeans, the ancient Chaldeans called Mammon a money god. And at the heart of it is an attitude that simply says this. If I've got enough of this, I don't need God. As long as I've got the money, as long as I've got the job, as long as I've got the skill, as long as I have the potential to make money, I really don't need God. Now, we, may not, we would never verbalize that as a Christian, but sometimes our actions kind of suggest that. This God of mammon portrays that it is the key to happiness. It is the key to provision. And I will suggest to you there is a spirit behind money that's not submitted to God. Now, how, many believe that, how many believe that the Lord owns everything? Listen, I've been a tither for 30 years of my life, but it, it didn't just the 10 belong to God. All of it belongs to God. In other words, everything I have should belong to Christ. That doesn't mean you give it away. Uh, the church doesn't want it. I'm not making a special appeal. There's no usher at the door. There's no hook at the end of today's message, okay? I just want to help you to look at the Bible. But I'm telling you, you live with a potential trap to ensnare you. And it's almost like this money God has a voice that speaks in your ear. 
You'll be happier if you have more. Uh, I, we're going to talk a bit about that and what might have been whispered in the ear of Judas Iscariot. But I can tell you, Satan will use money and its potential power, and he's on a pathway of destruction in many people's lives. So the title of this morning's message is Breaking the Spirit of Mammon which is literally an endeavor to break the control of money and possessions that might try to control our lives. We're going to look at, we're going to contrast Judas and Mary. We're going to look at several key biblical words that kind of personify and, and pull on you and I every day. We're going to see what the Bible has to say about greed, about envy, about coveting, about taking advantage of people, about hoarding, about being stingy, about lying, about stealing. All ways of which people are making money in the world, but the God of mammon is behind it all, and it will one day fall to the ground. Turn your Bibles, John chapter 12. Let's begin there, and let's talk about a guy named Judas. Judas, when you think about him, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a dog if you betray Jesus. How many know? He just, he's a dog. But he was not always like that. You know, he was one of the 12 people Jesus picked. Now, think about this. One of the 12 people he picked to be a follower of Christ. He, when Jesus sent out the 12 to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, you know, to do miracles, Judas was one that was out there seeing the miraculous hand of God. Judas was the treasurer of the disciples. He would care for the poor. He, so he was an extremely religious man. You know, the Bible says the Pharisees were lovers of money. You can go to church and have the God garb in your life, but still love money. And this was the problem in Judas's life. He ended up being controlled more by the money God than he was controlled by Christ. And it cost his eternal soul. Verse 1, John 12, six days before the Passover, which means the Passover the night before his crucifixion. So if you can imagine, here we are Sunday. If you can imagine you're Jesus, on Saturday you're going to be crucified. You know you've got one, one, less than one week to live. If any of you have ever had major surgery and you, the doctor told you, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm going to shoot straight with you. You've got a 50-50 chance whether you're going to live or die. I'm not talking about going and getting a tooth a cavity filled in the dentist. You may think you're going to die, but you're not going to die from that cavity. But I'm talking about something serious, and they say, you know what, this is just your only hope. We don't know if you're going to make it or not. Can I tell you, those days up until that event are going to be... Days that are filled with struggle, anxiety, worry, loving people, writing things down, making videos, talking to people, because you're confronted with death. Jesus had that same confrontation coming. Well, he arrives in the town of Bethany, verse 2. A dinner was prepared in his honor. And look what happens at dinner, verse 3. Now, Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. It was made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, which means if you just get a picture of lotion... Jesus, you know, it was dusty. They wore sandals. His feet was, were dirty. They were dry. Uh, she, she took that perfume and she anointed his feet. She wiped lotion on it. And after she was done, his, his, his body, feet only absorbed so much. She took the rest of it and wiped it with her hair. Now, why in the world is she doing this? Is it perhaps because she realized what Christ had done for her, was about to do? And she wanted it in some tangible, deliberate, generous way to say, I love you back. See, it's one thing to tell somebody you love them. It's another to show them in a tangible way. Well, the house was filled with fragrance. But here's the contrast. Look at verse 4. Here's this woman giving an extravagant gift to Christ. Judas Iscariot said, well, verse 5, that perfume was worth a year's wages. Now, think about whatever you make in a year, 10000 100000 a $1 million, whatever you make, buying one bottle of perfume and pouring it all out and it's all over. Now, we're going to think about that just a second. She pours it out. Oh, 
verse 6, not that he, it should have been sold and the money given to the poor. But verse 6 tells us, not that he cared for the poor, but he was a what? Say it again. He was a thief. And he was in charge of the disciples' money. He often did what? Stole some for himself. Now, tell your neighbor, that's bad when you steal from church. I mean, it's bad. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. He stole, he stole the money. Now, verse 7, Jesus replies, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. And what's happening now is Jesus is pushing the button of a money god. Now, you know, someone that knows you knows how to get you riled up pretty quick. Come on, it doesn't take much. All they have to do is just push your button and bang-o. Well, what's happening, Jesus now is rebuking Judas for his stinginess, theft, his pursuit of this money god mammon, and he's pushing his button. Uh, Matthew 26, 13 adds these words to this same story. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Now, you would think Judas would have said, God, Jesus, I am, I am so sorry. I, I just, you know, I got hung up, I got wrong, I made a mistake, please forgive me. But he didn't. The money God pushed him to the edge. Judas Iscariot, verse 14, went to the leading priests and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him what? 30 pieces of silver. So here's a woman that takes this generous, generous offering. Now, I want think about this. They say that the average American makes about $40,000 per household. I want you to think about this is your year's salary. Now, this costs, I think they probably paid $7, $8. It's olive oil. But I want you to think about this. Imagine $40,000 is your household income. And you take all of that, whether she had saved it, whether she borrowed against the future, pulled out her debit, I don't know what she did, but she took a year's worth of wages, and this is what she did. and she gave it to Christ. And Jesus applauded what she did. And it was over, this whole act of over, the anointing and, you know, rubbing in the lotion, as it were, and wiping it. It maybe took 10, 15, maybe even 20 minutes, I don't know, but at some point, it's over, and she gave that gift. Judas, on the other hand, was quite different. Judas was enraged. You know, the Bible says that Satan entered into Judas. Now, how did that happen? The money god, Mammon, opened a door. Thirty pieces of silver. Look what he did. Because he gave it back one day. That's what Judas... sold his soul for, for money. <laughs> Bye, Judas. The Judas game. Now, think about it. Oh, here's another one. One was applauded, one cost his eternal soul. Mammon. Money's not evil. Money in the hands, submitted, money that's submitted to God in the hands of a godly person can do tremendous good. You know, you know people are dying all over the world because they don't have fresh water. We're going to dig a water well at the end of March. A group of guys are going down there. I mean, people are dying because they don't have water to drink. 
Money in the hands of a godly person can be generated. Wealth can be created either through work, business, entrepreneurship, capitalism. It can be given. Part of it, listen, is consumed on our needs. Part of it goes to enjoyment, which is a good thing, First Timothy 6. Part of it is saved, but then the rest of it is released. And the problem is mammon says keep it all. Mammon says use all of it on yourself. It's yours. And that's what happened to Judas. And what he thought would make him happy destroyed his life. Now, look at First Timothy chapter 6. Money, this money God, it's kind of a warning here. It says, verse 9, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. Now, the Bible is not telling you don't try to make money. The Bible is not uh, suggesting you shouldn't go out and be successful or get an education or have more. Listen, that's not what the Bible is teaching. The Bible is taught, warning us not to be controlled by it. It's being controlled by the spirit that's behind mammon. So be careful. If you want to get rich, you could fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that do what? Plunge men into ruin and... Isn't that exactly what happened to Judas? The money God was in control of his life. Destruction. And look at verse 10. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money or eager for more have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The Bible is simply telling you this. This can destroy your life. The Bible is telling you this. This can pull you away from God. I, I, over the years, I have prayed with countless people that were struggling, that were, you know, that were poor, that didn't have it, that were going bankrupt. It's interesting the Bible says in the book of James, it is the poor that are rich in faith. The Bible's not advocating poverty. We help the poor, but it's simply saying this. When you don't have, you cry out to God and you pray more. But when your pockets are filled and your bank account is high and strong and everything is rolling and great, you're not aware of your need for God. And the Miller household prays a lot harder when we, when we need something and don't have it. And I'm not talking about an option, but when there's something like, you know, the mortgage payment, the rent, the car payment, the whatever, the Christmas bills, and you don't have I mean, you tend to pray a little bit harder. But something can happen when you become wealthy. It is a rare thing for me to find people that are wealthy and their wealth doesn't control them. Statistically, people that have less in life give more proportionally, but also more in gross than someone that has a lot. Because it's almost like the more you get, the more you want, and it wants to control your life. Now, some Christians go through that process, and they become more generous and more liberal, but many people are swallowed up by the love of money. Because any time you get something, you're going to have to pay to take care of that thing. How many know that? And your, your world can be consumed by things. So it's a potential trap, and my hope is that you'll steer clear, steer clear of it. Now, let me suggest to you, this money god, mammon, has a voice. And I don't mean a literal voice, but I mean it'll make you think certain thoughts. For example, like Judas. What was Judas thinking to betray the Son of God? From a, he'd seen blind eyes open. He'd seen Jesus take a boy's lunch and feed 20,000 people. But now, for 30 coins, what was going through his mind? Maybe he thought something like this. Uh, was money promising that he'd have power and freedom and independence? Could money tell him that he could buy whatever he wanted and he would be happy if he had more money? Did, did, did Mammon tell him money would solve all his problems? Did Mammon tell him that he'd fit in with the right people if he had more? Let me say this to you. If you have to have money to fit in with somebody, that's probably not someone you want to fit in with. 
there's a difference between an acquaintance and a friend. An acquaintance will care about you if the label on your suit is right. Come on. If your shoes were bought at the certain store, if your watch has the certain... Is that the kind of friend I want to give my life to? Or is that the world of people surrounded by the God of mammon? First uh, Samuel chapter 3. Now, I want to give you about seven or eight examples. I'm going to have to go through them quickly. But it's scriptures that seem to be working in coordination with this spirit of mammon, things that the devil would use to deceive us and trap us just like he did Judas. Let's look at the first one. It's the word greed. Can you say greed? Greed is simply a selfish desire for more than I need. Greed is that desire to, I've got to have bigger, it's got to be more, it's got to be better. 1 Samuel chapter 8, Eli the priest, his sons, verse 3 says, They were not like their father, they were what? Greedy for... They were greedy for money, and what did they do? They accepted bribes and they perverted justice. In other words, a little money under the table will just grease it real good and, and, and the deal will go right through. There's a lot of money that's being made in Texarkana and in America that's based on a lot of these things that we're going to talk about. Greed and envy and lying and stealing. I want you to listen to this just now. I want you to take a peek at a little video that talks about, that shows a guy that's caught up with this. He stole some money. Take a peek at this and hopefully you don't identify. That suitcase said, kiss me, you fool. There's a voice behind greed. It's there. It's real. I got an email the other day. Let me read it to you. It just kind of popped up on my, in my inbox. From a Mr. P. Kuwani. Read and get back to me. A set-down fund of $12.7 million belongs to my late client. It's still floating in our system for five years now since his death. Several inquiries to locate any of his relatives have proved unsuccessful. I decided to contact you because you and my late client both shared the same last name. 
Oh, not many Millers in the world. It's getting better. There are claim documents to enable you to file and claim this money legitimately. If you're interested, forward to me your name, phone, cell, fax for more details. And we think the next detail is going to be your social security number, your bank routing number. What is it? Mr. P. Kuani is motivated by what? I'm going to get some of those folks' money. But guess what? If the spirit of greed was operating in you, you could say, this is it. This is the Lord's answer. This is my lottery ticket. And I'm telling you, it's a spirit. You don't believe me that spirits operate in this fashion? Listen, if you take a room of 100 people, 500 people, you put two, a man and a woman that are adulterers in that room, they will find each other. If you put people that are taking drugs, you give them just a few, they will find each other. You put two people in the homosexual lifestyle together in that room, they will find each other. There's something about spirits drawing people into it. And I'm telling you, the spirit of mammon has a voice. And it will pull people in through this thing called greed. Its cousin is envy or coveting. It simply means a strong desire to have what someone else has. Now, I don't mean it's evil for you to see something nice, your neighbor, and you want it. But I'm talking about when you're compelled for it. And you don't feel valuable until you have the same model and type of car that they do. And the same, the same uh, siding on your house that they have. It's something that pushes people. Ecclesiastes 4 says most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. You're way too quiet. They're motivated to succeed because they envy their neighbors. Look at lying. Lying, by definition, is making untrue statements to mislead or deceive. Proverbs 21.6 says, Wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. What's that mean? If you lie to get money, it will disappear. It will disappear from you. You'll lose it. It's like a puff of smoke. If you've got a lie to get it, it's going to be gone. But the spirit of mammon will whisper in your ear and say, listen, what difference does it make? You need it. Just get it. Just take it. It's the spirit of mammon behind it. Here's another word, cheating. Cheating means to get what someone else has by distorting the truth or deception. Deuteronomy 25, 16 says, all who cheat with dishonest weights and measures are what? detestable to the Lord. So if you're trying to get ahead in life and you're cheating people, you'll never have the favor of God. You'll never live the blessed life. A greedy person, an envious person, a lying person, a person who cheats are not going to live the blessed life. But people are getting money every day in Texarkana by lying and cheating. Come on. Politicians are making deals with people around the world. Business people are making deals. And it's based on deception, illusion, and fraud. I'm telling you, it'll get you. How about stealing? Anyone ever stole anything? I have two occasions in my life. I'm, it's not lately, though. One when I was young and one when I was in high school. And I carried this shame all these years, so I'm glad I was able to confess it. I hope there's not a policeman in the house. Stealing is taking what belongs to someone else. No, three times I've stolen. I, something else came to mind. Taking... <laughs> See, when I say something about me, I get a response. But something that may get close to you, you get quiet. Okay. 
stealing, taking what belongs to someone else by force or subtlety. Listen to Micah chapter 2. This is amazing. When you want a piece of land, you find a way to seize it. When you want someone's house, you take it by fraud and violence. You cheat a man of his property, stealing his family's inheritance. But this is what the Lord says, I'm going to reward your evil with evil, and you won't be able to pull your neck out of the loose. That doesn't sound too good, does it? Listen, so what the Bible is teaching is if you take something by deception, if you lie. I was watching, uh, I uh, recorded Andy Griffith the other day, and and Opie had sold a bicycle to a little boy. And uh, the boy was around Andy, and Andy said, uh, well, did you tell him that the the tire's got a cut on it? Uh, No. Uh, Did you tell him it's got a scratch on it? No. And the little boy says, you didn't tell me that. And Andy's saying, so we need to tell the truth. And then Andy's selling his house. And lo and behold, the people come in to buy the house, and little and and uh, uh, little Opie says, "Well, Pa, are you going to tell them the roof leaks?" And he says, well, "Well, Pa, are you going to tell them the water doesn't work when you turn on that faucet?" And and Andy sat down and said, "Now, son, listen, listen, Opie, it's different than selling a house and selling a bicycle." And then finally, Andy came around to his senses. Stealing, though. Now, listen, stealing. Somebody broke in Powerhouse this week and stole, well, they steal. They stole uh, Zach's guitar. Can you imagine stealing an anointed guitar? Let's pray for that thief right now, whoever got Let's pray he be convicted. Well, we want to pray for that man, that boy, that young person, wherever they are, that the Spirit of Christ is going to work on them, and somehow we'll be able to see them restored to you, and uh, you'll touch their life. Stolen Xbox. I got another one for you. Anybody know what this is? It's the cross out of the men's restroom. It is a man cave. Okay, it's a pretty cool place for guys, outdoorsmen. Well, this is our second cross here at Church on the Rock. Do you know why it's our second one? Somebody stole the first one. Can you imagine? Now, you can steal a billfold and put it in your pocket, you know. I mean, somebody's worshiping the Lord. You can reach over and get their debit card. You know, it's put in your pocket. But you can't steal the cross. How do, how do they get this out of the building? And can you imagine, can you imagine going home and putting it on your wall and your friends come up, man, that's the coolest cross. That's a cross of Jesus. Where can I get me one? Oh, no, man, I stole this one from the church. They probably got another. Go down there and steal it too. I'm just, I'm just saying. If you have it, don't invite me over to your house. Just... Just bring it back. Put it on the doorstep. What could that spirit of mammon been whispering in their ear? I'm going to wrap up. Using people to get what you want. Deuteronomy 24, 14. Never take advantage of a poor or destitute laborer. How many have been taken advantage of in the workplace? Come on. Somebody took advantage of you because they could. Listen, don't you dare do it. Don't you take advantage of people. You need to care for people who are poor and in need. How about being stingy? Stingy is unwilling to be generous or share. Proverbs eleven twenty four: give freely and become more wealthy. Now, I hope that you have been hearing this message of generosity these last few weeks, not as a gimmick, but as a lifestyle. Now, I, I confess the first, I think I confessed it twice to you that I was too stingy to give away a jar of sweet jalapeno peppers. Come on, $3.85 worth, mind you. 
But somebody gave me a little bag the other day and it had two jars in it. And without a thought, I put one on my desk to give away and I took the other one home. I'm going to learn to be more generous. Give freely and become more wealthy, but be stingy and... I'm just saying, all I'm doing is reading the B-I-B-L-E. How about hoarding? James chapter 5. This will be my last one. <clears throat> to hoard is to store things up for myself and often hiding them from others. Now, how many know we can hoard because we're afraid of tomorrow? Come on, fear can make you hoard. Fear can make you hoard, but selfishness can make you hoard. Now, James chapter 5 I want you to think about this. This was not written to a bunch of worldly people. This is not in, you know, USA Today. This is written to some Christian people. This is written to, uh, to the believers. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail. Isn't it interesting? Everyone in this room wants to be rich, I bet you. Come on, if you were honest, you'd say, you know, okay. Uh, how many would like to have all your bills paid? Come on, have money in the bank, have a little bit more, and be like pretty much what you like. Every one of us. That's not an evil, bad thing, but I'm telling you, it can corrupt you. But the very thing that most people are striving for, the Bible says, you better weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. And they're not mis in misery because they're rich. They're misery because the spirit of mammon is in control. And God, they're not, they're, they're not, they're not using what God's given them, they're keeping it for themselves. Why? You have hoarded wealth in the last days. You've hoarded it. Which simply means, you know, there's only four things that we need to do with money. We need to meet our needs, our basic needs of our life. It's perfectly fine to enjoy money. Never feel guilty as a Christian to enjoy money. First Timothy 6 said, God gives it to you, enjoy it. You save some for the future. And the last thing you need to do is you need to be generous and give it away. You need to be a conduit, a vessel for God to flow through. But the problem is most people want to just do the first three things and they never have enough to be generous. And if you don't submit your money to God and put Him first, you never will. And the Bible says, listen, you need to be weeping and wailing because you're, you've hoarded this wealth. The wages you failed to pay workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourself in the day of slaughter which simply is a way of saying God is going to hold a day of reckoning. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hoard. So here's, here's the deals. This is what got Judas. Greed, envy, lying, cheating, stealing, using people. To, Judas did all of this. Stingy, hoarding. Mary, on the other hand, had such a heart so she could just... for Christ. And that's my hope for you, that you set on the course that I'm on for the blessed life, the generous life that enjoys God's goodness but freely gives to others. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. Now I'm going to close with this very practical way. If you could give me just a couple more minutes and let's, uh, let's get real. What do you do if you're controlled by the Spirit of man? What do you do? And you may not be like that guy that was on, on the video just kissing the money and, you know, opening your wallet. and you may, not, you may not be that, but maybe some of this is operating in your life. Let me tell you what you need to do. The first thing you need to do is you need to be honest and admit it. It's like any sin in life. Any trick of the devil, we expose it. And but first of all, it starts by saying, you know what? I've got some of that in my life. You need to be honest and admit it. And the second thing, you need to repent and make some changes. I mean, if it's there and it shouldn't be there, the only way to get on a different track is to start saying yes to Christ. Turn my back on it. Make some changes. And then lastly, our scripture the last couple of weeks, Matthew 6, 33, Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. 
So really, that's all it is. It's admitting that I've got a problem in my life. It's affecting me in some measure that I don't want it to. And I want God to make some changes. And I'm going to start right now in the way that I'm living and the way that I'm treating people. I'm going to start putting Christ first. Giving Him my first and best. Giving Him control of my life. How many want to be, live that way? Come on, let me see your hand this morning. That's the way I want to live too. I want Christ to be first. Well, I'm going to ask you if you might join me in a, I'm going to call a symbolic or a prophetic act to renounce the control of money if it's anywhere in my world. You may want to identify this way. You may want to get your wallet, your purse, your billfold, debit card. And don't worry, you can put it right back in your pocket. I don't want it. There's no gimmick attached here. But I want you to put something next to your Bible. I want you to put something in your hand. I want you to think about it. Because this is not just an abstract message. This is not just something that you can think about. This is something that needs to affect the way that you live your life. And I want to ask you this question. Which is first? It's an honest question. I don't care if you're young or old. I don't care if you're poor, rich, or in between. Which is first? Because Jesus said you cannot serve it's impossible. One has to be first. Mammon's going to be first. Our God is going to be first. Today, Lord, we want to, in this act of identification, we want to, we want to renounce any worldly ways about us. We want to renounce the spirit of mammon, which simply means we're going to reject it and we're going to resist it. And we're going to ask that the Holy Spirit would convict us when it's affecting us. We, ask you, we declare today that we renounce all forms of greed in our life, all forms of envy, all coveting. We, 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 will, we will not, Lord, take advantage of people to get what we want. We will not lie. We will not steal. We will not hoard things. We will not be stingy. But we resist the spirit of greed. We resist the spirit of mammon. And we will not allow it to have control in our life. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to change us now because our choice this morning is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Our choice today is to put the revelation of Christ ahead of ourselves. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then God will take care of you. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, give the Lord one more good hand. It was good this morning, wasn't it? We'll do it again next week. You bring a friend and we'll, we'll talk to him. I want to give an opportunity for prayer as we close our service. It'll be just a couple more minutes. You'll be out the door. But I want you just eyeball to eyeball just a second, and I want to say this to you. Prayer can be the most powerful experience you have in a church service. Now, we worship the Lord. The worship was good. Hopefully, the Word of God unveiled something to you today. But listen, prayer can do something in a whole different dynamic. When two people of faith reach together and hook up, it's like if your car was stuck in the mud in a ditch. What you need is you need a truck, or a tow truck, a tractor, and a chain to pull you out. Well, that's what prayer is. Prayer is you reaching out with a chain and taking another chain and somebody helping pull you along in the name of Christ. We want to pray for you today. Maybe it's something that was said in the message. It could be anything in your life. I'm going to offer this to, uh, this morning and next week. I'm going to ask our prayer team to take some oil. And oil in the Bible is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to come to the front and just ask them to anoint your hands, believing God to cause you to prosper as you go forward, we'd like to do that today. We'd like to put faith because I want to see you taken care of. I want to see you being able to have nice things for your family and able to be generous in the kingdom. And if you want to just get a little faith going, some people are going to believe they'll anoint your hands and believe God that God's going to bring you to a new place. But if you've got needs in your life, it could be anything. Maybe you've got family or friends and they're in trouble and they need God's help. We're going to pray for you in just a moment. 
But the last call that I'll make today is for you very personally and specifically. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you'll say, Pastor, my problem's bigger than money. My problem is in my relationship with God. My problem is that I don't know if I'd die today if I'd go to heaven or hell and I'm not living for Christ. And my problem is today that I need to get right with God. I need God's forgiveness. I, I, I want to accept His offer of eternal life. I want to begin to follow Christ. The way I'm living is, is, is just not working. You know, it's a very special time. This is, if I'm just talking to your head right now, yeah, forget it. But if the words that I'm saying right now are getting into your heart. See, when I was 19 years of age, I had all the things. You know, my dad took put good care of me, and I was going to college and a scholarship, and, and life was good. But in the afternoons, I would just weep. Just, I was out working on the farm by myself. I would just cry. I didn't know why. And then I would go right out that night. We would party and smoke and just carry on. It's like there was a bucket in my life, and I was putting stuff in it trying to fill it up. But there was a hole in the bottom of that bucket because this world cannot satisfy what Christ can. And maybe you're here today, and you're looking for peace, you're looking for purpose. You're looking for God's plan for your life. It starts, my friend, at the cross of Christ, asking God's forgiveness and committing yourself to follow Him. So if you're here this morning and say, that's me. I want to get right with God. I want to get my life on the right track. We want to pray for you this morning. If that's you this morning, lift your hand. Tell me who you are today. I want to get right with God today. Come on, do it quickly. I don't have much time. I want to get right with God this morning. I want to put Christ first in my life. Well, praise the Lord. All right, well, listen. Someone raise their hand. Well, God bless you. Oh, yeah. God bless you, pal. God bless you. Jesus first in your life. Two. God bless you both. I think they go to Texas High. They have a little revival over there. We're very, very proud. Every step to God is always the right step. I want you to go ahead and stand to your feet right now. Our prayer team is coming for prayer. You that lifted your hands to uh, your walk with Christ, come on up. Let somebody pray for you. If you want prayer for anything, you come up. There's a need in your life. You want to have your hands anointed for God's blessing and favor. I want you to come and let somebody take just a minute with you as we reach out to Christ. You come for prayer. We'll sing this through one time and then be dismissed.